Hey, Richard. Yeah, dude. What's up? Ready to go back to NDC London? You bet. And they're in a new location this year at the QE2 Conference Center in Westminster. You mean across the street from Westminster Abbey? That's the one. And the speaker lineup this year is awesome. Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman. The greater and the lesser Scott. If you say so, buddy. <laughs> the conference runs January 15th to 19th, so it's time to get your registration done. Go to ndc-london.com to sign up today. And we'll see you there. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, here in New London, Connecticut, Richard, last night we had our annual POP holiday dinner. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was nice. And uh, wish you were here, but, you know, it's a lot to ask of you to come out here just for dinner. Well, I've made it a couple of years here yeah, and there. Yeah, you have when situations have uh, presented themselves. It's always a timing thing. I actually spent the weekend at a podcasting conference, which was interesting. That's cool. The theme of the conference was, you can't make money on podcasts. And I'm like, mm, not true. Yeah. But I think we're an anomaly. Yeah, we may be. Uh, it's it's uh, just really great that... Our, our sponsors uh, continue to support us and our people continue to listen to us. And uh, yeah, I feel lucky every day. Yep. Well, definitely come to a podcasting conference. You'll feel very lucky. Yeah. And this is a particularly awesome show, isn't it? Because and this is special. Yeah, because this is when we give away the big kahuna. Yes, the prize. It is time for the prize. It's time for the prize. And we get to be Nigerian princes at last. I also... Um, realized that I misspoke on a previous show that I told people they had until the 14th to get their uh, registrations in the fan club in, and certain circumstances came and went, and we were not able to wait that long. So, right. sorry about that. It was not intentional for me to mislead you, and better luck next year if, in fact, you did not win. All right. So, let's get on with it. Better know a framework. Roll them. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Uh, this is great. This was posted by somebody in our Slack uh, forum on App Phoenix, one of the guys down there. Uh, and this is uh, a daily WTF <laughs> blog <laughs> post, and it's called Calculated by Remy Porter. Okay. And he says, a long time ago in a galaxy right here, we ran a contest. The original OMG WTF contest was a challenge to build the worst calculator you possibly could. We got some real treats like the universal calculator, which instead of being a calculator, was a framework for defining your own calculator. Awesome. Or Rube Goldberg's calculator, which eschewed cryptic values like 0 0.109375 and instead output... Seven sixty-fourths using inlined <laughs> assembly for performance, <laughs> or <laughs> or the champion of the contest, the buggy four-function calculator, which is a perfect simulation of a rotting, aging code base. The joke, of course, is that building a usable calculator app is easy. Why it's so easy that we've challenged our readers to come up with ways to make it hard, to find creative ways to fail at handling this simple task to misinterpret and violate basic principles of how calculators should work. Well, I bring this up because just a few days ago, as of this writing, this was uh, uh, December 6th, iOS 11.2 left beta and went public. And finally, finally, 
they fixed the calculator, which had been broken since iOS 11 launched. How broken? Let's try 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6, shall we? And when you play the video, the answer turns out to be 75. That's not right. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, for those who can't or don't wish to watch the video, according to the calculator, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 is 75. I entered the values in quickly, but not super speed. The underlying cause near as anyone's been able to tell is a combination of input lag and display updates. So rapidly typing 1 plus 2 plus 3 loses one of the pluses and becomes 1 plus 23. Oh, my goodness. Oops. This shipped? Yes. This shipped? Yeah. Wow. Yep. That is a daily WTF. Isn't it? This shipped on the latest version of iOS. That is extraordinary. Well, they finally fixed it on the latest version, but it had okay. two, uh, you know, minor revisions before they fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is awesome. Yep. There you go. Just not making something up. This is actually just, no, this was out in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. By a company with a couple of dollars. Yep. A couple of dollars. So I thought it was funny. I thought I'd share it with our listeners. Enjoy that. Uh, who's talking to us today, Richard Campbell? Grabbed a comment off a show 1,500. I don't even know this, but we've done 1,500 of these things. Apparently, we have. And we have. And uh, we did the history of .NET, which I've talked about a bit before. It was great. Seemed fairly well received, don't you think? I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of the most uh, responded to tweets I think I've ever put out. And I uh, got a ton of great comments about it. I think folks are very interested. And this particular comment comes from Keith Williams, who says, As a trained historian who only found an interest in development after university, I love this show. <laughs> the history of software is underappreciated, but it's becoming ever more important as software becomes more important to our lives. Yes. In a 100 years, small and seemingly inconsequential design decisions taken when developing the global platforms of the future may have huge real-world implications. And the people and stories behind that will be fascinated to future historians as in the last industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. That's right. And he wraps up to say one of the best things you can do when moving to a new product is to learn the history. Knowing about, say, the spat between the offshore team and the then product owner 10 years ago can help to explain baffling technical decisions in code and guide you to an understanding of what the system is meant to do and why it is the way it is now. Yeah, not to mention any cultural divides or rifts or, or anomalies or weirdnesses that exist in your company. It's yeah. good to figure out the, uh, the history. Now, I can't tell you how many times as a consultant I've come in to evaluate a company and figured out that there was like one person who wrote a piece of magic mm. that essentially the company is built on mm. and they're long gone and nobody uh, wants to touch it, nobody right? Nobody touches it. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the voodoo is over there. <laughs> Don't go near it. Don't go near the voodoo. Leave the voodoo alone. <laughs> we'll just put adapters on top of it. And yes. We'll figure that's out. it. We just keep decorating that one amazing <laughs> chunk of code that's a whole business yeah i, I worked for a couple companies like that yeah yeah it happens uh so keith thank you so much for your comment dotnet rocks mug it's on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to facebook and google plus and if you comment there and we read it on the show we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on twitter he's at rich campbell i'm at carl franklin send us a tweet we throw them in the voodoo file. <laughs> they get voodoo. I, I do remember working for a company um, called Voyetra, which is now Turtle Beach. And they mm -hmm. had a DOS uh, sequencer called Sequencer Plus uh, for MIDI, right? 
And this was in the 80s when musician and computer should not have been said in the same sentence. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do remember the note editor, the piano roll editor, was that piece of voodoo that nobody, even the best developers, wouldn't touch. They had outsourced yeah. it, and they were like, nope, that's uh, gold right there. It's voodoo. It's magic in there. Don't touch yep. it. You break, you break everything. You speak truth, Mr. Campbell. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, you know, the, my interviews continue for the history of .NET. I'm still really trying to figure out what my overall thesis is. Like, yeah. it's, it is an experience to learn more. And, and one of the interesting concepts just came up recently is really this discussion about pragmatism versus idealism Ooh. in software design. Because you see that discussion over and over again you do. In, in the evolution of .NET. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I am still being surprised by the story with as much work as I've already put into it. We're ways to go. Well, everybody else said it. I'll say it too. I can't wait for the book, the video, whatever else you're going to come out with. Uh, can't wait to see it. I'm excited. And that brings us to our guest. Jay Janarthanen has been developing software for almost 25 years as of this recording. For the last four, he's been concentrating on Salesforce and continuing to work as a C-sharp developer and that's been since about 2000. Before that, he was a Java programmer, started his Java career at Sun when Java was not even a public product. Jay began his programming career as a small talk programmer, a language he loves and still uses. Oh, my. Oh, we got to talk about that. Uh, Jay spent the last two years at General Motors as their lead Salesforce developer on one of the largest Salesforce projects in the world. Last month, Jay left GM to work full-time on Apex Sharp. ApexSharp.com and open source C Sharp to Apex and back to C Sharp Code Converter. The primary focus of this project is to bring the productivity gains of C Sharp and Visual Studio to the Salesforce development arena. Welcome, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, a dream of for the past six years to be on the show. Oh, no kidding. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, I believe you have a mug too, don't you? Yes. Um, I actually posted a comment on the topic we talked about, where to buy a system that can hold uh, 26 terabytes of RAM. <laughs> you have such a system, do you? <laughs> yes, it's. I don't have it, but um, I think I found one and posted on the show notes. Uh, I forgot the model, but it's HP makes a you know Intel. Yeah. system that has something like 385 team slots and you can get that at dreamon.com <laughs> uh, jay we're yeah. not up on salesforce probably as much as we should be or you think we are and by us i mean richard and i and certainly um a whole bunch of our listeners so can you tell us what apex is so Apex is the programming language for salesforce so just like you know c sharp or bb um, Apex is the programming language that you use uh, to develop applications for Salesforce. I see. Uh, so it's very similar to uh, T-SQL. Okay. To T-SQL. So it's a, it's sort of functional querying type language? Set-based? It basically has, you know, it's pretty much a full-blown programming pr language, but it doesn't have the advanced features uh, like generics or, yeah. you know, Lambda, things like that. But... Uh, it's primarily designed as a programming language to manipulate data. Yeah. It has its own version of SQL. They call it SOCL. And yeah. you embed the SOCL calls into Apex. And, you know, the code runs on Salesforce. 
Is the architecture similar to SQL in that it sort of runs right at the server, right where the data is? Absolutely. Yeah. So when you develop an uh, application in Apex, you can't actually run it on your local PC. You have to upload the code to Salesforce. And when you upload, the code gets compiled in Salesforce, and then you know it runs on Salesforce. So uh, you know, remember the old days when not everyone can have your own uh, SQL server. Mm. So we all uploaded our uh, stored procs to the primary SQL server, and you know it's uh, compiled and yeah. uh, it ran there. So I could see where a C sharp to Apex converter might be handy. You can actually develop stuff locally. And then convert it, run it in up uh, on your server, and then bring it back, right? Absolutely. So, you know, Salesforce, I don't think they never thought that people are going to write an extensive amount of Apex code. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th now they are spending time and money on making the language more robust, but it doesn't, you know, uh, because the fact that you can't run it uh, locally, uh, there is no debugger support. You know, it, it is, you can't debug mm. the code. Uh, you basically putting you know like console write line uh, all over to find out what the code is doing, and also the compile time. Uh, you know, it is based on how busy the Salesforce servers you are working on. So it can take anywhere from few seconds to you know. 30 seconds to have the code compiled in uh, uh, Salesforce. And uh, as developers start writing more and more large scale applications in Salesforce, uh, these are becoming a bottleneck. And uh, tooling support, the last big, another biggest issue is the tooling support. Um, you know, Visual Studio is probably the best IDE out there. I mean, I've been using it for about 15 years now, and you'll never find uh, something like that in the Salesforce land. So the whole idea behind writing code in C-sharp and converting, converting to Apex is, uh, came in out of uh, the same idea, like TypeScript, right? right. I got the idea of TypeScript. So you write the code in C-sharp, you take advantage of uh, local development. You know, if you have a, like I have, you know, a four gigahertz machine, uh, the whole thing compiles in real time. You get to debug the code in your local machine, put breakpoints, uh, things like that. And uh, Visual Studio is, you know, I mean, uh, I, thank God I have an Enterprise Edition license, and it mm. uh, has all kinds of bells and whistles that makes development a lot easier, faster, and productive. What I'm seeing that's really interesting here, and I'm looking at uh, developer.salesforce.com, and mm -hmm. the sort of Apex trigger example, the first one I see there, looks mm -hmm. so much like C-sharp. And I was expecting yep. something that looked more like T-SQL, but it kind of looks like C-sharp. Absolutely. I think, you know, the language looks like it's a mix of C-sharp and Java. That's what the language structure is. Mm. But I think the reference to T-SQL is how it's run, yeah. right? You don't run it locally. You know, you don't develop it locally. Um until you upload to the server, you would not even know if the code will compile or not. Right. So the compiler lives on the server. So absolutely, you're not going to know anything to push to that. I mean, do we need to jump back a notch here and go? Why are we writing code in a CRM exactly? Good, good, good yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk about a couple of things. Right. First, 
you know, this confusion, whenever we talk about Salesforce, uh, you know, the immediate uh, question is, oh, is the, isn't that the CRM platform? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Salesforce started as a CRM company, you know, and, and, and CRM is still the, one of their largest revenue source. But what they did is they developed that their CRM software on top of a platform they developed, right? Mm. And about five, six years ago, they released that platform to others and said, hey, you, you know, the same way we built our CRM software, you can build you know, your own application and we will run it for you. And that's how the whole platform thing came along. And now Salesforce is a what we they call a platform as a service provider, right? I mean, you know, mm. they provide a platform. Now, on top of it, Salesforce has a CRM, which then, you know, field services. They have a huge e-commerce uh, engine. So, they, they, you know, they have their own apps. And then on App Exchange, which is their uh, version of App Store, there are about 5,000 people or 5,000 partners having uh, their own apps, you know, accounting, ERP, think about anything. Uh, I sort of um, see an analogy, maybe not quite exactly, but sort of in terms of scopes to uh, SharePoint. You know, you have the uh, yeah. stuff that's turnkey, that's off the shelf that, you know, uh, power business people can use. And then, you know, or maybe power apps, right? Um and then you also have the platform where you can develop your own customer applications and get in really deep. Absolutely. And one of the nice things about this platform is, let's say you go and buy Salesforce CRM solution or, you know, someone's accounting solution, you can actually extend it, you know, add more columns to the table, uh, you know, extend with uh, more code. So you you can always, you know, it's a good starting point, you know, if you're trying to solve a problem, um, again, let's talk about CRM. You know, you, know mm. you want to implement a CRM solution. You go and buy the CRM solution from Salesforce, but then you extend it uh, by the means of uh, clicks, what they call is the click no code. Right. And uh, we can talk about that uh, also. Well, this might be as good a time as any, but uh, before you get into click no code, let's just take a minute here to hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl. Have you tried JetBrains Rider? It's a new cross-platform .NET IDE that's light yet powerful and comes from the makers of ReSharper, IntelliJ, IDEA, and WebStorm. You can write .NET code on Windows, Mac, or Linux. Rider has you covered. Rider helps you develop ASP.NET, .NET Core, .NET Framework, Xamarin, and Unity applications. Most languages used in .NET development are supported. From C-Sharp, VBNet, F-Sharp, and XAML, to ASP.NET Razor Syntax, JavaScript, TypeScript, and all that other front-end stuff. It comes with navigation, thousands of code inspections, refactorings, unit testing, debugging, rich coding assistance, and more advanced IDE features, powered by proven technology from ReSharper and WebStorm. Download Rider now and take it for a 30-day trial at rider.com. .netrocks.com. That's R-I-D-E-R dot D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S dot com. All right, and we're back. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, .net Rocks. We're talking to Jay Janarthanen about Salesforce, Apex, and all that good stuff. And you were just about to mention a uh, interesting technology. So let's, yeah, let's talk about, you know, the whole, 
big thing nowadays in the industry is the so-called low-code platform. You know, it mm-hmm. seems like everyone hates developers and uh, uh, the business guys wants to do, uh, you know, solve problems without the need for developers, right? <laughs> but uh, as Microsoft developers, the best example of a low-code platform is Microsoft Access. You know, yeah. I mean, I've been using it for a long time where, you know, you don't need to code. You basically did drag and drop, and you know people are running real businesses on Microsoft Access. Well, they were. <laughs> Maybe they still are. I don't know, but you know, the problem you get into there is that the high level things are great until they're not, and then they can't be extended if if they're not designed correctly. Absolutely, and you know, um, then you know you used a VB or whatever to extend it. Yeah, but. Salesforce is, you know, one of the leaders, or I would say the biggest player in the so-called low-code platform low-code, that allows, yeah. you know, anyone to develop an application and uh, to solve their business problem. Now, I, I kind of give this example, you know, Salesforce is like a sharp shaving blade. You know, you can take a nice shave mm-hmm. or you can slit your throat also. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when you give that much power where you can develop a database structure with all clicks to someone who does not know much about database, next thing you know is your first and last name are in 20 different tables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, there's actually a big consultancy or consulting business we call, you know, cleaning up Salesforce. Like basically you go and clean up you know, the mess that's done by non-developers, right? Mm. I used to work for Access, too. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So, but but the nice thing is, you know, it allows, especially when it comes to so-called line of business apps, right? These are the apps that runs enterprise businesses and, you know, they're boring, uh, they doesn't look nice, but they contain so much business logic that, a business person, you know, knows that they want to, you know, keep changing the logic, things like that, right? So this whole um, low-code platform is uh, is catching up because the business guys, they want to, you know, create the apps without going through this whole process of, you know, having a business requirement, you know, system analysis, a software architect, and a coding, everything, right? You mean having a plan? <laughs> but it's, it's <laughs> you know, in, 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 especially in enterprise, it's cost a lot of money to develop application. Sure. Like if you go into a Fortune 500, mm-hmm. uh, developing an application compared to startup, and I worked on both sides of the, you know, startups and uh, uh, enterprises, same app, uh, you know, ex- just for an example, you know, let's say I, it takes two weeks at a startup before one person to do it, will take six months and 10 people to do it in a large enterprise mm. because you go through, you know, so many steps and so many meetings and, you know, to get it done, right? And this is where, you know, kind of Salesforce came comes into a play where, you know, hey, you know, you have your business owner define the screen or the objects, not objects in, there's another naming confusion, Salesforce calls tables as objects. 
tables and, as uh, objects? Yeah, they call so tanga they call the record a record, but uh, tables are called an object. Okay. <laughs> So there's no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, anybody who wants to jump into Apex Sharp, there's not going to be any confusion or anything. <laughs> so you, you have to get used to the naming. Yeah. But uh, traditionally, you know, a business person can go and uh, create the table structure, um, create the reports, and there's a workflow engine. Again, it's a drag and drop. And they can say, hey, you know, when this data gets saved, you know, route this data to this table, and top of that, you can write formulas. Uh, the language is pretty similar to the formulas that you write on Excel. Okay. So Salesforce, you know, it, so the nice thing is when you hit a brick wall uh, in low code, uh, click and I, I still have, haven't got the correct term for this, but it's the low, you know, low code, click through, whatever, click, basically designing an application uh, without coding. And when you do that, and when you hit a brick wall, that's where this Apex uh, programming language comes into play, right? You can use that to extend anything that you can't do uh, you know, uh, online. And that's why the, there is a, you know, in, if you look at Salesforce developers, there are two types of developers. One we call admins. And admins are the people who do all this configuration without any code. And, you know, the career path is uh, there is, you know, ad admin uh, certifications. Uh, you, know, you, you can be you can get a lot done just without coding in Salesforce. And then, you know, you've got the Salesforce developers. And I will say there's the split is about 90, 10, 90 percent of the people who are working on Salesforce are admins and that's about 10 percent uh devs wow yeah interesting and, and you know the these are these are all the classic dreams of software all along right that we would just sort of drag or drop our way through that uh, absolutely i mean uh, you know it, it it's nothing solve all the problems uh and but the nice thing is you know you can you're not hitting um a brick wall because there is opportunity to extend uh using code and also it's it's sort of a um I'm not going to say it's a single purpose, but it's a little more constrained in what you're able to do with it. I mean, Salesforce isn't a general purpose app development tool, right? No. So that makes it easier to, um, to or it makes it more possible for you to sort of click your way and drag your drop your way around it. But I also see how this model came along, right? That you're, you've got your CRM system. Like I suspect that anybody into Salesforce bought that, you know, SaaS product first, yeah. and then you want it to do more, so you start making extensions. Mm. Absolutely, and you know that has been going, and still that's the a huge business, right? People implement CRM solution on top on Salesforce, and uh, you know you have to extend it uh, to meet your custom needs. Sure, and uh, uh, you know they so that yeah that's a big big business, but nowadays. I'm seeing more and more custom applications that is unrelated to CRM at all, right? Mm. Being developed on Salesforce. And, you know, sales, as I said, Salesforce will allow you to develop uh, any web or REST uh, applications. It just, you have to figure out, you know, the amount of money you are going to pay Salesforce. It's, it, uh, you know, worthwhile uh, right. on the savings you get when you develop a, uh, 
you know, on top of Salesforce was, uh, you know, a .NET running on Azure or something like that. Now, CRM, the CRM product was a, is a per-seat product, right? It's like a per-user product. How is this thing priced? Absolutely. Everything in Salesforce is a per-seat pricing. Okay, so even these custom apps would be per-seat. Absolutely. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's per seat, and you know there are workarounds if the application is uh, public, uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know you don't have a user login, they will work with you. But buying Salesforce, it's uh, it's not that you you know you can go and put your credit card in and uh, buy Salesforce. As a developer, you can go and sign up for an unlimited number of uh, dev uh, Salesforce instance and work on you know learning Salesforce. But the minute you want to buy Salesforce, you are assigned an account executive and a sales engineer, yep. and you're signing a three-year contract. It's not add to cart. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, uh, hold on right there. We want to talk about Apex Sharp when we come back with Jay. But first, a very special, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It's the happiest time of the year. It certainly is. <laughs> it's time to hone our code knife so that its apex is more sharp. Oh, my goodness. See what I did there? <laughs> That's awesome. See what I did there? <laughs> that was perhaps the worst joke of the year, I think. I don't know. You've, you've bet a lot of competitors nuts, but <laughs> Yes, I have. It's, it's definitely a runner-up. We should write a Salesforce app to see which one comes out on, on the bottom. Nice. Anyway, before we give away the big one, we have a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to give away. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? And the winner of the D-Experience subscription today is Chris Futrell. All right. Congratulations, Chris. Congratulations. Clappers for you. Chris, now you can say that your name was read on the $5,000 giveaway show. However, you did not win the $5,000. I'm so sorry to say. But you did get the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, Answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, as in right now, (laughs) we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky winner of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And now it is time to announce the winner of this year's $5,000 giveaway. Ready? Ready. You ready, Richard? Oh, so ready. You ready, Jay? Yep. All right, here it is. It's Michael Reyes. Congratulations, Michael. Michael. And Michael knows all about this. We contacted him before. He's got his loot already, and we have him on the phone right now. So let's talk to him. Michael, are you there? I'm here. 
Well, what do you think? You're you've won the uh, 2017 shopping spree. Yeah, it was it was fantastic to get the news. You know, as you probably are used to, most people just oh, is this real? Is this fake? Is this a spam <laughs> bot? Uh, that definitely happened to me. So <laughs> it took yeah. uh, it took one or two exchanges, and I'm like, this is real. Right. Yeah. I, Carl's bad humor. Yeah. Richard's incredible searing insight. Yeah, this is these guys. <laughs> I don't know that I actually said anything through the whole exchange, but yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty fantastic. Thank you. Well, Richard, I think um, Mike might be the first winner to not get a rig. Oh, my. So, what's the list? What did you get? Um, yeah. So, it's funny because I just listened to, I think it was Seth Juarez, um, a week ago and mm-hmm. I had already submitted my list by the time he had said what he would get, but it was, it was, <laughs> it was eerily similar. He's like, yeah, I would get a couple new 4k TVs, uh, yeah. and, uh, an Xbox one X to watch them on. And that those are on my list. Um, yeah. I had done a, a refresh of my computer gear, um, about a year ago, uh, including a new standing desk. So as far as uh, computer equipment goes, I felt like I was pretty set. So, um, the thing I hadn't refreshed in a while was, uh, the TVs. So I've been, I think the last time I bought a TV was probably five or six years ago for the bedroom and longer for the bottom one. So, uh, it's time to jump on the 4k bandwagon. This was the perfect time. Totally agree. Which ones did you get? Yeah. Uh, so I ended up getting, um, some Samsung, uh, Let's see, the 6300 4K series, they're the regular LED TVs. I got a 75-inch and a 55-inch. Um, nice. Yeah. So That's a big TV, man. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen them in stores, and I, I, you know, I said, wow, 75 is, is really big, maybe too big. I, that's, I'm upgrading a 65-inch DLP TV uh, yeah. to that 75, so it's going to be a pretty nice step up. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Wow, fantastic. Well, that's uh, that's great. So, what would you tell people who are sort of on the fence of whether they should join the .NET Rocks fan club or not? Oh, it's definitely worth it. You know, I listen to the podcast um, most mornings when I drive my son to school. So, he's in the back seat, uh, either reading or playing the Switch, but he gets to listen in. And he asks me, you know, a lot of the times, like, hey, can I sign up for this fan club? And he's nine. And I told him, you know, <laughs> uh, why do you want to sign up? He's like, I want to win a mug. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, we'll make sure to send you a mug so that you can give it to him as well. Oh, he would love that. What's his name? Devin. Hi, Devin. Devin. I know he's going to be listening to this. He he can't wait to hear uh, this discussion on the on the podcast. So, hey, Devin, get ready because we got a new place for you to put your apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> Hold off on the coffee for a little while longer, Devin. Yes, it's a one way uh, trip you'll never come back from. Exactly. Exactly. Well, congratulations again, Mike, and uh, we'll see you out there on the internet. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. Bye bye. Bye. And uh, wow. See, that's what you get. You got to sign up for the fan club. You can actually win. Well, that was fun. It was fun. And a cool set of prizes. Something a little different this time. I'm excited. Me too. And uh, I always love giving away stuff at the end of the year. It's uh, it's better than filling up my stocking. Just saying. So before we get back to uh, Jay, let's ask him, Jay, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Well, you know, I listen to you your shows um, what, twice a week, and every time this 5,000 question comes up, I keep yeah. thinking, okay, what will I buy? <laughs> uh, 
a lot of ideas. But what I want to buy is, you know, for the past 20 years, every few years, I'll buy a desktop, really powerful desktop, and yeah. then also a very light laptop to carry around. Okay. But I think, you know, I mean, 2018 is going to be this, the year where I will just buy a laptop that I'll be happy where it'll be my desktop and something to carry. So it's lightweight, mm, yeah. but at the same time, powerful. Yep. Um, what I'm zeroing in is uh, the company called Razer. They make this really nice, powerful uh, gaming laptops. But at Oh, yeah, the same I know thing, the Razer laptops. Yep. You know, they're lightweight. And also the Surface Book uh, 2. But my biggest requirement is I need to drive three 4K monitors. Because mm. yeah. uh, that's normal. once you have you know this is like you know if you're a developer you know more than monitors you know there's nothing called less there's no such thing as too much screen space that is true so the nice thing about the racer laptops is they sell this external box which uh, connects uh, on thunderbolt with the laptop and you can actually go and buy a in a very powerful nvidia card and plug into this external box and then the the razor core device yeah, the external EMC or what they call it. Hmm. Yeah, no, that thing's awesome. Um, Seth Juarez uses one. Ah, nice. It's an external box that has one PCI slot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you, you go and get a really powerful graphics card, put it that way, you know, and, and, and the laptop is very light too. So basically, you know, it takes care of my need for something lightweight mm-hmm. to carry around. And at the same time, you know, when I'm yeah. home, it can power all three of my 4K monitors. You can plug your wall in. Nice. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a cl- it's a clever idea. They and I think that the chassis is like 500 bucks. Yes. And then it depends on what you I mean. If you put a GTX 1080 in it, that's another 500 bucks. If you put a Titan X in it, that's 1100, 1200 bucks. Like yeah. you can spend as much as you want, but it's a way to give the beefiest video card to your laptop i think it's very clever uh way to go and, and a good good call man that's a neat product yeah that is definitely so it may be my christmas gift yeah for myself <laughs> awesome well let's jump back in and talk about apex sharp we said in your bio that it's an open source project it's a c-sharp yep. code converter it's a two-way converter between uh apex and c-sharp so first of all, tell us what limitations it uh, addresses in Apex. So developing, so so as I said, you know, traditionally people wrote code in Salesforce when they hit a brick wall, and most of the code were very small, uh, you know, trying to address very uh, niche needs. But lately, what's happening is people are writing massive applications in mm-hmm. Salesforce, and you know quarter million, half a million lines of code is, uh, un, you know, I mean, that's normal. Yeah. Right? Wow. So if you're writing that big of a code base, you need uh, a real tools, you know, because, for example, as I said earlier, uh, Salesforce doesn't have, uh, you know, like generics or namespaces. Uh, it's still uh, like a uh, the old days of uh, VB, I think VB is still uh, case sensitive. There's no you know, case support, so you can have uppercase, lowercase, Got things it. like that. So the idea is, you know, why not write all these applications you're going to write in C-sharp? Run it locally, 
and the app sits on top of a C sharp SDK. So you're actually connected to Salesforce while you're running it. I see. Because that was my next question: is if you know most of this stuff runs at the Salesforce server, you're going to have to have some sort of proxy or service that you call through. Absolutely, and Salesforce is very good at exposing every single function they have, or almost every single function they have, as a REST endpoint. Nice. So, you know, when you're writing code and when you're querying the database in C Sharp, you're actually connecting to sales, your Salesforce instance. So you're working with the real data in the Salesforce instance. Yeah. Cool. You know, so if you, if you put a breakpoint on your C Sharp code, uh, you're, you're going to see the real data from Salesforce. Yeah, that's great. So that's the challenge of developing with it. Now, once you've got something that works, you actually have to spit out Apex code that does the same thing. That's that's the challenge. So you can do it two ways. Right? One is like, let's say you know you are you have something like computationally intensive, or you want to take the data and run it in a, you know. A different platform, then you can just run the C Sharp application on your server, okay? But use uh, the Salesforce as uh, as the data source or yeah, database. Sure. You could make an ASP.NET app uh, service, uh, MVC service, any kind of REST service in C Sharp, and just use the API to call in. Absolutely. So yeah. that's the underlying uh, SDK that I first wrote. But then, you know, the idea came along, okay, why can't we convert the C-sharp code to Apex, just like how TypeScript works? And in fact, right. you know, there are so many projects out there that converts uh, C-sharp to some kind of language or JavaScript to some kind of language. Transcoders. Transcoders, yeah. right? And uh, so I first wrote the C-sharp to Apex uh, transcoder because it was easy since uh, Microsoft has uh, released uh, Roslyn, you know, the parser and everything is free and open and available. So it's very easy to write a, yeah. a code that can take C Sharp to any other language, right? Right. And it also makes it easy because Apex is a subset of C Sharp. Yes. So I don't have to, you know, implement a lot of functionality. Then the issue is, hey, you know, there are a lot of developers in Apex who did not come from C-sharp background. So they want to stick to Apex. Right. So on, you know, on an enterprise, when you're working, you're going to work with, you know, a couple of C-sharp developers and a couple of Apex developers. And Apex developers always, you know, they want to stick to Apex and they don't know I want to do anything with C-sharp. Right. So how do you get both of these uh, teams to work together where you can make changes on your code, but, uh, then you know you don't have to. You're not losing your work because the Apex guy went in and wrote something more. Mm. So that's the idea behind you know Apex to C sharp. That involved writing my own parser and own grammar to read Apex code and convert to C sharp. So this is one of the few projects that converts both ways. Yeah, that's that's great. And how how is it being used? So the primary way of using it is, you know, if you are a C-sharp developer and you want to develop uh, Apex code or Salesforce, you want to work with Salesforce and, you know, you have Visual Studio, uh, you use it, uh, you know, just like any other C-sharp uh, development. Mm -hmm. and, um, write uh, what code. kinds of applications are being developed with it, I guess? Who's using it? You can use it. The You know, mo most people start because the, the conversion, 
part only came out about a few months ago. Most of the you know work I did but for a year was uh, the SDK. So people were using it uh, to read data from Salesforce and pass it to another system. Yeah. Or, or write data to Salesforce, uh, you know, from another system. Sort of right? glue code. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, but now, you know, uh, it's as people have started uh, using it um, to write uh, Apex code in C Sharp and uh, just like their regular C Sharp program. And uh, when everything works, um, it's a real time, uh, you know, it converts in real time. Right. Uh, right. And uh, it gets up to uploaded automatically to Salesforce. So theoretically, you don't have to know Apex to work on Salesforce. Interesting. Uh, what do you say to folks who would do this more with Azure Logic Apps or Power Apps or the, the flow tooling? Like there's good connectors into Salesforce. Absolutely. So the, the usage is like if you're just trying to do, you know, do you use Salesforce as a data source and access the data? Then you know you got all these connectors and you should use that. Uh, or if you want more depth, you know, then you can use the SDK uh, I wrote. But the real problem I'm trying to solve is this productivity challenge, right? When it comes to developing uh, code for Salesforce, so if you want, you know, debugging namespace, uh, compile time, you know, real, well, you know, if you have a fast machine, you know, it com- your code compiles instant. And if you look at uh, unit testing on the new Microsoft uh, live unit testing, right, it's a real time unit testing. So if you want to take advantage of all those, then you should use C Sharp and Visual Studio yeah. to develop your S- Salesforce application. And, uh, you know, that, that's my uh, argument. I mean, uh, my, uh, you know, elevator pitch, right? Yeah. Okay, good. No, it's, it's really interesting. So Jay, who's using this? I mean, so far, you know, I have got emails from people, um, you know, since the very early, I started working on it full time, but been about three weeks now. Uh, people are experimenting with it. Uh, people are not uh, official. Again, one of the things with Salesforce is it's being an enterprise platform, right? You know, uh, uh, taking open source code and uh, standardizing on it, it's a bit of a time consuming process. So most of the people who are working on it are individual developers and consultants yeah. who just want to write code uh, a lot faster. I, I, Richard brings up this, uh, how should we say, the love-hate relationship between Microsoft and Salesforce by saying, you know, why would people, you know, who are doing Azure need to do this? But I get that there are people that buy into Salesforce and that's it. That's the reason. You know, you're you're on the platform. You need to integrate. But um, I guess Microsoft and Salesforce have pretty much always had a pretty good relationship. But there's uh it, it it got a little closer recently right yeah so the history between you know microsoft and salesforce is interesting right um for a long time uh salesforce always wanted to integrate uh into microsoft office suite mm. and they still do right? they, actually you know 2015 uh, satya was the keynote speaker at dreamforce that's the salesforce uh annual meet conference Yep, yep. So speaking of Dreamforce, last year, oh sorry, this year, you know, 170,000 people showed up. Wow. Whoa. That's amazing. 
in in San Francisco, a city that not designed for 170,000 people. Now, now, yeah, where do you put them? That's what I'm going to say. Did you take over the city? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's uh, 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 every single hotel was going at, you know, 10 times the price. Um, last year, actually, Salesforce uh, took a cruise ship and parked it in the bay. Uh, so people, you know, can stay there <laughs> instead of a hotel. That's so crazy. 175,000. Wow. I yep. thought Ignite was big, Richard. Well, you think even a cruise ship is maybe 7,000 people. Yeah, that, no, Absolutely. that's just spillover. Yeah. So, you know, all you need is 20 of them. <laughs> 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 so, AKA all of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it's, uh, it was an interesting show, and that kind of shows the, you know, why, why Salesforce, you know, developers should look at Salesforce because, uh, you know, they, in that 175,000, I would say only about 20,000 were actual, like, you know, geeks, like developers, right? Yeah. Sure, yeah. And um, um, coming back to this love-hate relationship between Microsoft and Salesforce. So 2015, Satya was the keynote speaker at Dreamforce, right? Then uh, 2016 comes, uh, Microsoft buys uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Which uh, Salesforce wanted badly. Oh. Yeah, so yep. competition. Yep. And uh, then Salesforce goes and buys this company called Quip. Uh, it's a pretty nice Excel, like online, you know, Google Word uh, type of competitor uh, that can easily connect to Salesforce. So you can have a write a document like a word-like document online mm. and have real-time data connected to Salesforce. So, you you know, you, you can connect to uh, Salesforce data. So, as the Salesforce data get updated, the Word document uh, or Quip document, they call it, gets updated real-time. Nice. Yeah. And, um, you know, Salesforce went along doing a deal with AWS and uh, Google, but not uh, with uh, Microsoft. And... Mm. And Microsoft this year or last year, I think they started heavily to push into the CRM market. Yeah. Because remember, Dynamics, Dynamics was a pretty quiet product for a long time. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a it more looked as an ERP application. Right. And uh, now Microsoft is pushing Dynamics uh, 365 very heavily. And uh, it's very well integrated with existing Microsoft uh, suite of uh, tools. So, you know, Microsoft and Salesforce do compete in that CRM space. Sure. Right. Now, so that, that, that's the, you know, the hate relationship right now. And things, you know, kind of changing where the uh, little by little. So the one example is um, when uh, Visual Studio Code, when Microsoft released Visual Studio Code, uh, Salesforce actually wrote a, a Apex a plugin for Visual Studio Code. Oh, interesting. You know, oh, wow. I didn't know that. So uh, you can edit and uh, still you can't compile. You have to upload the code to Salesforce sure, yeah. to compile. But, uh, you know, it's a syntax highlighting. And the nice thing is right now when I work, um, I have the C-sharp code and the Apex code all, all opened up in the same editor. Yeah. You know, and I can compile the C-sharp code and, you know, uh, uh, and same, you know, work on Apex also. Nice. Yeah. And uh, does uh, Apex Sharp work in Visual Studio Code? Yes. Um, so the whole Apex Sharp is, uh, you know, um, .NET Core 2.0. Nice. So it works uh, on uh, 
you know. And by the way, the interesting part is practically everyone who is doing Salesforce development is a Mac owner. Really? <laughs> that so, is very telling. <laughs> so everyone, you know, so that's, was, you know, like, yeah, it, it's a huge, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mac, uh, you know, dev community, Salesforce dev community is a huge Mac fan base. Well, that's great. So um, what's next? What's next for Apex Sharp? Where do you see it going? So, you know, I mean, it's interesting, you know, I mean, I went from doing something on the weekends to quitting my job and doing this full time and open source development. You know, it's one thing I'm realizing is uh, when you do open source development and you want it to succeed, it's not just coding. You know, half half of your time is now like half of my time now is spent on writing documentation and you know marketing it because just putting out the code, uh, you are not going to get thousand people coming and contributing to the project, right? So nowadays, you know, as I said, you know, I'm spending, you know, I'm it's had to be run just like a business, sure, and uh, you know that's where I'm spending my time. And uh, long term, you know, the way I see this, you know, we I will uh, have a you know just standard open source business model, right? I mean, you have a free product and uh, add some bells and whistles, and uh, you know, make it this into a Visual Studio plugin or whatever, and you know, make sell it. Absolutely, but, why uh, not? You know, yeah, for now yeah. I just want to concentrate on Apex Shop. And uh, it's, it's it, you know, something I love doing it, and I want to keep doing it for a while. That's cool. great. Well, we wish you the best of luck in the future. And, hey, thanks for dropping a little uh, Salesforce on us today. That was, uh, <laughs> it was a really refreshing change from what we're usually talking about. Oh, well, thanks for having me. And you know, I, I think every uh, uh, .NET developer should look at uh, how to take advantage of, you know, Salesforce platform while still, you know, maintaining, uh, you know, you know, their C-sharp uh, skills. For sure. Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right, Jay, thanks for spending this hour with us. It's been, uh, it's been great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.